0: I want to go to there. Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee and ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
1: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes! 30 Hellens agree.
0: Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby, huh? It's a plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts to
2: keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
3: Uh, I can't reasonably complain.
2: Okay. I'm doing well except I seem to keep eating candy corn. And I know I should stop. But, but, there, it's candy corn. It's corn that tastes like candy. It should just be uh, called
3: crack. Pretty much. Actually, are we sure that... I mean, you and I have never done crack. Are we sure it's not just secretly candy corn?
2: It could be. That's as far as I know. Sorry, uh, I just
3: made an assumption there. I shouldn't have leaped to that conclusion (laughs) without asking you first.
2: If I had done crack. No, I have not done crack. But maybe I have in the form of candy corn, because holy holy crap, man. Anyways, we heard from you guys this week, but we're going to keep the feedback very brief because we have a long podcast coming your way. Particularly at the end of the show, we're going to be talking with Steve Procopi, uh, Capone for Bain a Cool News, about Trilogy of chair from 1975 and the 2002 version of Carrie, the TV movie. So uh, lots of fun th- themed uh, DVD shelf coming at the end of the podcast. We heard from a bunch of you guys this week. I talked Walking Dead with James, Carl, Peter, and Bill. Uh, Ken says that S.H.I.E.L.D. has fake geeks, much like Joan of Arcadia, because real geeks learn as kids to limit their jargon in front of mundane's. I concur. Uh, Keith says uh, he loved the D- *The Cowboy Bebop DVD shelf, so glad you enjoyed that, Keith. Talked uh, the grim two-part premiere with Mario. Beth doesn't think a, a Jason Kanem-style drama could be a network hit right now and that family dramas need to be soapy to get ratings i agree what what are your thoughts on that it seems like any drama that has success has either genre elements or is incredibly heightened
3: yeah it seems like network dramas have they have a few modes they can stick to to work but no one's figured out how to break them in a way that makes everyone happy
2: yeah there are different, uh, different styles or approaches come in and out of vogue, and right now it's heightened is
3: in. Yeah, heightened, batshit, whatever you'd like to call it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I talked a little about Doctor Who with uh, Kyle and Steven. That was a lot of fun. We talked fast food chains with Todd, Sir Celtic, and Ken. Carl says uh, is a big fan of the Louis Two-Party with Parker Posey, and he also said in response to our question of the week... That he's a big fan of Orphan Black and Tatiana Maslany, so he would like to see a Parks and Rec where she plays all of the characters except for Jerry. And that that would be must-see TV. I want to see that now.
3: She can even do Jerry if she likes.
2: I, I, I don't know. I feel like that contrast would be good. I think it'd be fun. But that that is some of our feedback from you guys. Thank you very much for dropping us a line. We very much appreciate it. We didn't get any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but maybe this week, because coming week we will. That would be very much appreciated. It does help other people find the show. So if you have the time to go over to iTunes and rate or review either the M4A or the MP3, that would be very much appreciated. Sound Sight is still rocking through uh, Halloween month or 31 Days of Horror this is the, the TV and a horror segment, of this podcast today, uh, for, for, the, for the month. But there's plenty of other great articles going up. And then, of course, n- coming up soon here, it'll be November, which will mean Doctor Who Month. So lots of great stuff. It's out on site. And of course, we have our reviews going up. Simon, you have reviews for?
3: i uh, will reviewing Masters of Sex. I'm also, incidentally, reviewing American Horror Story this coming week.
2: Which should be a lot of fun And uh, I'm, of course, reviewing Grimm and Boardwalk Empire This past week I also reviewed Scandal And so I, I tend to pinch hit as needed around the TV section So there's, there's plenty of, of great reviews going up at Sound Sight Every single day for TV as well as film But let's get into our week in TV We're going to kick things off with the comedies
0: If I didn't have you, life would be blue I'd be Doctor Who without the Tardis. Is
1: it me or does she not look so
0: <laughs> A candle without a wick, a Watson without a crick. I'd be one of my outfits without a dicky. I'd be cheese without the Mac, jobs without the Wozniak. I'd be solving exponential equations that use bases not found on your calculator, making it much harder to crack. I'd be an atom without a bomb, a dot without the comm, and I'd probably still live with my mom. He probably still live with his mom Ever since I met you You turned my world around You supported all my dreams and all my hopes You're like uranium-235 And I'm uranium-238 Almost inseparable Isotopes I couldn't have imagined How good my life would get From the moment that I met you
2: first up this week are the comedies we're going to do a quick network roundup and then move over to the cable series so key and peel always sunny in the league children's hospital their season finale and eastbound and down but let's start with the network comedies though first let's go over to fox with brooklyn 99 new girl and mindy how did these episodes treat you this week
3: brooklyn 99 is on a nice course i think this may have been its best episode yet maybe uh, you know, I the eternal complaint is I would still like them to rein in Andy Sandberg a little tiny, just a little bit more. They can keep going with that. Um, but, you know, I do think they're having fun toying with how competent the character is or isn't uh, and sort of toying around with that dynamic. So, you know, it's it's two steps forward, one step back, I feel like, with Brooklyn Nine-Nine so far. But maybe bigger steps forward than steps back this is a this is a troubled metaphor already uh new girl also i feel like new girl does well with sort of broadly wacky episodes like this um so in, in a similar way that brooklyn 99 does so i wasn't thinking about my overall problems with the show because it was so busy being wacky so that's a good direction for them
2: well and specifically we've been having a lot of problems with nick and jess and also very much with schmidt and this was a schmidt centered episode that had a lot of Nick and Jess. So how did those different elements work here? And if they did work for you, what is the show doing in this episode that is working as opposed to in the past?
3: I, I think it's working right now because they're spending as little time discussing the whole CC and Elizabeth thing as humanly possible. So I'm briefly forgetting that it's a thing that happened and that I should still be annoyed about
2: Fair enough. One of the things that uh, our reviewer, Tara, or our contributor, Tara, who who does the comedy roundups for us, one of the things she mentioned in her Tuesday comedy roundup when talking about this episode was that she wants to see an episode from Elizabeth, which probably won't happen because of, you know, Merritt Weaver's a busy lady, um, but from Cece's perspective, showing what she's been up to and how she's been handling the breakup. And I actually think that would be a really interesting thing for them to do obviously the next episode is called Coach and has Damon Wayans Jr. coming back so that's not going to happen next but uh, I think actually that would be a really smart move for them just a completely sort of like that that episode of Girls with um, Patrick Wilson just like CC off in a completely different show would you be interested in that
3: yeah I mean New Girl it's a great idea they're never going to do it because New Girl isn't, isn't an experimental sitcom It's a very straightforward sitcom. They're not going to break format. And I think it would be the best way for them to handle the situation would be for them to break format. Have a CC episode. Have an Elizabeth episode. Uh, For that matter, while you're at it, have a freaking Winston episode. But, (laughs) um, yeah, it's not going to happen. But it would be nice, Yes.
2: Fair enough. Uh, I'll mention Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I really like this episode a lot, actually, and uh, I gotta give it to them. The That Mario Batali costume was awesome, and it, when they're first showing him, you can't see his feet, and so I had no idea. But as soon as you see his feet, you see he's wearing the orange Crocs, which are like a Mario Batali like, staple. He always wears orange Crocs. I was like, oh, of course. Come on, guys. You're not giving him enough credit. That was a really good Mario Batali costume. And that kind of—and maybe just because I relate— to that, the the very the highly specific costume for a show or, or a figure that I care about that nobody else does. Uh, but I thought that was a nice, uh, very accurate touch throughout the episode that I really enjoyed. And I think other, other people have mentioned this, but I think it was very important to give Peralta a win this week in his continuing dynamic with Holt. And uh, yeah, you know, the increasing wackiness over the course of the episode being sort of punctuated by actually no, we've been playing you this whole time and we know we are being wacky and ridiculous and that was the whole point i thought that actually worked really well and then i also wanted to mention mindy project bro club for dudes i think actually adam pally is working out really nicely uh on this season i'm glad that he's in a more recurring role and uh, i think they could tone down some of the more sexist elements of that character that are very, they're very aware of that. That's not an unintentional thing. They're sort of playing with that dynamic, um, but I think I think his introduction into the dynamic is actually bringing up some some interesting issues for the show and for the characters. So well done, casting Adam Pally. Of course, we're gonna have uh, Dan Wayne's Jr. back on New Girl next week. Uh, I'm hoping maybe he could move in with Schmidt, right? And, uh, and 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 then maybe you could have Jane, Eliza Coop be his new girlfriend who's playing jane and then we could have all the happy endings people on tv
3: maybe apparently she's getting her own show at some point so yay
2: fair enough okay well then then alicia uh, cuthbert because she's awesome too and zachary knighton too let's just get all of them on different shows because they're fabulous let's move on to the other networks we have on cbs i wanted to mention crazy ones and big bang theory i'm assuming you didn't watch either of these Ah, no. Okay, Crazy Ones is actually, I think, course correcting very nicely at this point. It got picked up for a full season, but uh, I I don't know how the readings are doing or if anybody is tuning in, but they've actually done a really good job of strengthening that Sarah Michelle Geller and Robin Williams relationship and letting her be funny while also sort of reining in Williams to some extent. And they've developed some of these other characters, or they've at least started to. Um, and this episode featured just a delightful sort of – it was a – there's like an un, a subtextual reference to that amazing Orson Welles recording session that unless you know about it or have seen the Pinky and the Brain <laughs> amazing parody of it, you probably wouldn't have picked up on. But just like the character design of, of who they bring in it felt like a very direct reference there. So there's some really fun comedy going on, even if it's not maybe the most laugh out loud comedy. And I got to mention Big Bang Theory just for that song, because it was amazing, written by Garfunkel and Oates. And, uh, it, it, of course, that's the the music leading into this, this segment. I had to use it. Uh, the rest of the episode worked more than the show usually does for me. I don't usually tune in because I get too angry at it. But <laughs> I actually did like this episode on the most part, and uh, that was just a delightful song. So thank you to the Big Bang Theory writers. For and the the whole crew for for hiring Garfunkel and Oates to write a just a delightful song for for that episode, the final show I'll mention because Ricky, I promised I would. Uh, that's of course our benevolent leader over at Sound On Sight. He's loving the Goldbergs this season. It's his new favorite show or favorite comedy that is, and so I said I would tune back in after not really enjoying the pilot. I'm st- I, I think one of the things this show does very well is. Very clearly draw from the creator's personal experiences. There are touches in here that feel absolutely authentic to the sibling experience. Um, you have the the older brother pitting down the younger brother and hitting him with his own hands. Why are you hitting yourself? why are' you hitting yourself? I think everybody who has a sibling has either done that or had that done to them. Do you have any of that experience yourself, sir?
3: I can neither confirm nor deny that I have been the deliverer of You Are Hitting Yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you hitting yourself?
2: (laughs) So there are some really nice touches in here, but in general, though, I do really enjoy some of the performances. I do think, of course, Wendy uh, McClendon-Covey, who's been getting a lot of the praise for the show, I think she deserves all of it. She's doing a really good job with that character, but the writing is just not funny enough, consistently enough for me to want to tune back in. So I uh, having the, the end of episode clips of home video footage that directly correlate to the events in the particular episode continues to be one of the smartest things they're doing. And uh are they're yeah, I see what you like about it, Ricky, and what other people who are fans of the show like, but I'm just not laughing enough. And I don't care enough about the the eighties touches to have this really be a show that I connect with. So there, there's my due diligence on the Goldbergs. If there are any other network comedies, especially new ones that you guys think I need to tune back in for and give another shot to, let me know. And I will do that in the coming weeks, but let's move on to the cable comedies. Let's start with Keene Peele.
3: Which I think had maybe it's best episode all season. And I think one of it's I by default, one of it's best ever. I th- I think it says something that the weakest sketch involved the bellhops who are consistently hilarious and I had absolutely nothing against their freaking out about racist ass Millie Gibsons. Um, <laughs> that was, it was, it was chuckle worthy, but probably not as good as their other two appearances. Maybe I was just missing the Neesons. I don't know. Um, I'm sure they've done a movie together. They must have. Are you shaking your head because they haven't? I'm
2: I'm agreeing. I'm absolutely agreeing. They, they must, there must be somewhere a movie with both of them.
3: Or there must be one later. <laughs> not that I'm advocating Mel Gibson getting more work, but there were so many hits and not all of them were recurring bits. Some of them were new. And I, I, I for instance, I really, really loved the uh, the Cunnilingus teachers. It was a, just a short bit. And again, where we've been praising their short bits, but it hit every mark and it was really funny. And I guess for some informative and uh, I don't know. I just I was laughing at every sketch, which I don't think has happened at Key and Peel in a long time. So well played, boys.
2: Yeah, and also it just there's a nice touch of of gender awareness in in some of their their comedy that I particularly enjoy. Um, that isn't always the case in obviously there's just the two of them, but in in sketch shows that are all men. That, that perspective doesn't always come across, and I think it does with them, so I very much appreciate it. And yeah, it was a good episode. I was laughing. Unfortunately, I have this issue with most Key and Peele episodes where even if I really like it while I'm watching it, you get me a week away from it, and I have trouble recalling the specifics of what worked or didn't. Uh, maybe I need to start taking better notes, but uh, we had Mr. T this week, we had some oh, other- Oh man,
3: I cannot believe they waited three seasons to pull out Jordan Peele's-
2: uncanny
3: impression <laughs> holy crap i mean obviously the hair and makeup help but still wow
2: yeah there there was a lot to to really like here i think i probably still like the premiere or the second episode better just for you know some of those knockout sketches like lame is and some of these other ones but um but no definitely they're they're keeping a, a, this a very consistent season uh for key and peel Next up we have the FX comedies, Always Sunny and The League, quickly for The League. We had Flowers for Charlie at Always Sunny and Flowers for Taco for The League. So uh, Taco stops uh, smoking marijuana and uh, it is, it, is an, it was an entertaining episode. It's a good premise and handled well. Uh, So another strong episode for the League. I'm glad that they are having a little more success in the second half of the season than the first half. Let's talk about Always Sunny and Flowers for Charlie. Of course, this was written by the showrunners of Game of Thrones, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. What did you think?
3: I think it was smart that if you didn't know that they wrote this episode, you would have never guessed, because there's no Thrones referencing whatsoever. They just totally get into the spirit of this show, which they're obviously must be huge fans of because there's no other discernible reason ever for them to do this because i like, what do you think the pay grade is like writing an episode of game of Thrones versus writing an episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia? Uh, probably, probably not comparable, but I I think that they do a pretty, they do a solid job. It's not a, an all timer episode, but it certainly has its moments. Um, I, I, I love the reveal is so obvious of, of what's really going on with Charlie, but it's very satisfying, nonetheless, and I think it's pulled off with a plum.
2: Oh, see, I didn't see it coming. Maybe I'm just stupid, <laughs> but I, I,
3: <laughs>
2: I just bought in so much to the flowers for Elginon element. You know, maybe I was expecting too much of a direct parallel. So, so having it just turn out to be complete bullshit was awesome, and uh, especially the whole Mandarin thing. Uh, this,
3: oh yeah, that was great.
2: That was amazing. Uh, so, so yeah. And nice deployment of the waitress Mary Elizabeth Ellis for like one scene this week but yeah I really enjoyed this episode and the whole the, the whole uh, rat thing and with the huffing of the, the, the gas was also amazing so I'm really enjoying the season of Always Sunny think back to where we were at with Always Sunny last season at this time
3: oh well, where we could barely be bothered to talk about it yeah but we were
2: forgetting it was on yeah
3: yeah they're on a roll definitely
2: speaking of on a roll let's talk about eastbound and down chapter 26 we have uh kenny just falling to his worst tendencies
3: yes i feel like well it has to happen every season i suppose but i think it's particularly satisfying when it happens and it and it results in a standoff between him and ken marino because i just love their scenes together especially with the water jetpack
2: Oh, have you seen what those before? What even is that? Oh, yeah. Those are awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that before. Uh, that w- that was pretty spectacular. Um, yeah, I, I think they, they have a blast just making Kenny as reprehensible. They're really pushing how reprehensible he can be. I was surprised we saw John Hawks again. I was just I just always assume that guy's always busy now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I really like the scene we got with him. It was a nice call. You, you, you've still never seen the first season, have you?
2: I've seen his episodes before. Yeah, I caught back up a bit.
3: Yeah. Okay. I I like the way they have Kenny and Stevie both, like, the the way they chart both of their, I guess, evolution, or in this case, devolution, and the way it affects them a little bit differently. I I, kind of feel like Kenny is the Don Draper of comedy. Like, (laughs) they they always toy with changing him, or they change him in superficial ways, but ultimately he can't really change at all. Mm -hmm. And... Of course, I think the difference is Eastbound and Down can survive and thrive without him ever changing, with no problems at all, as long as everything around him is changing. Uh, So, yeah, I'm always curious to see how they tease us with change and then pull the rug. We haven't even gotten to the rug pulling yet because they're having too much fun just making him an intolerable prick.
2: And I I particularly like this week, April, and that's one of the things I think the show handles so well – is keeping her someone who would actually be married to this guy and have this incredibly long long and complex relationship with him and history with him but who also is a person. And so yes. so this this episode, you know, this progression with her cuz Kenny's being so horribly sexist and offensive and disrespectful to her, but the for part of it you feel like it's Part of their just their dynamic and it's playful yeah, and like,
3: like like that scene where we, in the bedroom where yeah. he's openly treating her like a prostitute but
2: it's kind of charming somehow for them and then <laughs> but then later there's a sense of this underlying anger from him that that she picks up on and uh, which leads to the the therapy that of course he blows off but but I really like that the show explores the nuances of that that it's not just He's a misogynist asshole, but it it that there seems like it's a very playful, normal dynamic for them, and then there's something underneath that, and they they are not again. I've mentioned this before; they're not satisfied with a simple reading of these characters or this relationship. And particularly, we see that this week with April, and I always appreciate that.
3: Yeah, for sure. They've done. A, I think they've done a better job with her than they have in certain in in some past seasons. So, yeah it's, I'm glad that they've been paying attention to that. So, yes, another good one. Maybe not quite as good as the last couple of weeks, I don't think, but still pretty solid. I'm always happy to watch Eastbound.
2: Definitely. And we're going to end with the finale to the season of Children's Hospital, another Ken Marino showcase here coming and going. Uh, what did you think of their two-part action-packed <laughs> <laughs> finale? Uh.
3: I like I like the the children's hospital equi- equivalent of a two part action of a two part finale is what are we going to do? Well, obviously we're going to do a, we're going to blow up the set, mm-hmm. uh, albeit in the cheapest looking adult swimmy way possible. Although, I, actually, no, it, it could have been worse. But yeah, clearly the the adult swim version of a cataclysmic action finale isn't isn't quite it's not quite Strike Back, is it?
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, but but, uh, but, it, but it's still fun.
3: Still, it's still very fun. I really, really liked, especially the uh, the cross cutting between yeah. the the various stages of battle, shall we say, uh, near the end of the episode. It was it was it was pretty satisfying. It was it was an unusually non gonzo episode considering everyone yeah. was getting shot.
2: <laughs> yeah, the various subplots tied in well. I love that this is a show that can last week remind us that Malin Ackerman is actually a man, and then this week have her giving birth. Uh, that is amazing, <laughs> and and then t- going back and forth between the action set bases and then opera was delightful. So uh, that that whole the the cross cutting worked really well, and the the exploding belly baby thing with the with Doctor Little Girl, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was delightful. I just really enjoyed this show. And I again, I don't understand why more people... I haven't seen any talk about how this was the finale and this has been a really solid season for them. I feel like nobody else is watching this show and I don't understand why.
3: Yeah, well, the 11-minute the comedy has yet to reach true mainstream acceptance. But I feel like as attention spans dwindle, it's time is coming.
2: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So what wins this week in comedy for you?
3: I'll give it to Keen Peel for having a season highlight even though, like you say, it it is tough to have s- strong recalls on really, I think, any sketch comedy show a, a week, a week forward. But, I mean, I can rewatch that episode anytime and have a blast with it.
2: There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of solid episodes this week, I think, for comedy. But I, there weren't any that I feel like I'm going to be talking about at the end of the year or, you know, next year. Remember that amazing episode. I guess the one I'm most likely to reference in the future to have, like, stick with me is probably New Girl, just because of the whole Michael Keaton is my pen pal thing, which right. I thought they they did pretty well. Um, that or or Flowers for Charlie, I'm more likely to reference or remember, you know. Uh, but but I guess I'm still going to give it to Brooklyn Nine Nines Halloween because I did have a lot of fun with that episode. And it is very encouraging to see. The show really getting off to such a solid start, so I kind of want to give it to Key and Peele. I kind of want to give it to Always Sunny. I kind of want to give it to Children's Hospital, but I guess I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine Nine. So,
3: all right, that was very thorough. That was
2: very vague and useless, Uh, but (laughs) hopefully, I will be a little more decisive in the other areas. So, next up, we're going to take a break and come back with our week in reality.
0: It's been a while since you treated me right You strung me along for far too long Cause I never gave up the fight Until now It's gonna hit you heart till you
2: see stars It's gonna put you in a world of hurt And I don't believe in getting
0: even Just giving what you deserve
2: This week in reality, we have Top Chef, The Voice, The Amazing Race, and I just thought I should mention, I'm aware that 30 for 30 is going on right now, but I haven't been able to catch up with it yet. I'm hoping that next week I I will be able to give my thoughts on the season so far, but just heads up, in case you weren't aware, 30 for 30 is going and apparently going strong, Uh, so... We Televerse regrets we've not been able to catch up with it yet, uh, but we think probably you should, given their track record. Yes?
3: Yes. That is, uh, that is a good collective statement on behalf of the Televerse.
2: Let's kick off our week in reality with Top Chef New Orleans. We haven't really talked much about this season uh, because, at least for me, there haven't been a lot of things for me to say it's been really solid as far as i'm concerned the chefs seem like they for the most part are very competent or talented and the food looks yummy and i love that they're new orleans and that's about all i really have to say about most of these challenges where are you at with this season
3: i've been enjoying it a little bit more recently as as sort of the personalities emerge that tends to be what happens on shows like this and i wanted to specifically mention this week i loved the whole it wasn't made that explicit, I guess, but the, the whole notion of authenticity and how important is it, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, C- Captain Vietnam, I forget his actual <laughs> name. Oh, that was kind of awesome. Yeah. His, like, you you understood where he was coming from because he was the only person there, as far as I can tell, who had actually been to Vietnam. And his boyfriend
2: and, is Vietnamese and, yes, you know, he's very tied with that culture.
3: So he does have a point to a point, but it didn't feel like he was engaging necessarily with Vietnamese-ness in the context of New Orleans, and that's a whole other ballgame, although they never made that point explicit either. Uh, although the the fact that they gave it to Shirley, who very clearly engaged with the locals, I think was a clear demarcation on their on their part. So, yeah, just watching that whole debate happen and watching him just be such a douche where he didn't have to be a douche and and then, you know, the appropriate punishment doled out was very interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I just I, watching Shirley, you know, talk to the, the shrimpers and their wives about how do you... Because if anybody is going to know how to cook good shrimp or are going to be familiar with which flavors work, it's going to be the people... Who who work with that all the time? Who are most likely to just like take some of the catch home as dinner, you know, or or just like they're stuck out on the boat and that's so that's what they cook. I mean, nobody else thought to do that, and it sort of boggled my mind. So I really enjoyed seeing her benefit from that, and uh, yeah. Also, there's this. I appreciate a recognition from some of these chefs that just because you're a very well-trained, masterful chef doesn't mean that there aren't other people who aren't necessarily of that profession who don't have good and useful things to tell you, to teach you about that. So when the the Vietnam guy is uh, dismissing everything that these other chefs have to say about Vietnamese cuisine, particularly as it relates to New Orleans, I was just sort of smacking my head. And so I felt like him and he and Shirley were like the two opposite sides of the spectrum. And it was very nice to see her succeed. I am I'm, en- I'm enjoying Shirley.
3: Yeah, I um I would have liked to have seen Justin take it for his two hour pho because that just seems impossible to me. But based on the editing choices, it was very clear that wasn't going to happen. They, they, they've they been they've been showing their cards a little bit too plainly with that because there's just, there were at least a quarter of the contestants we were seeing none of. It's like, OK, these people are all safe. I don't need to worry about them at all. And I, I have to also just mention uh the macaroon thing was the judge making a joke when they were like when 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 they were like, Oh, this is not a macaron? Like you do know, like this is what most like I I get that there's the French macaron and it's fancy and delicious, but most people think that's a macaroon.
2: It's a it's a very different thing though. a, a macaroon and a macaron are very no, no, I... very different, and so I I understand that. And I only recently had my first macaron, and it was delicious. It was ridiculously yummy. And as at this tiny little uh, dessert place that also has like froyo and stuff in the suburbs, so you don't need to be in a fancy restaurant to get a good macaron. But uh, that was an important distinction. And maybe I think it's just that they were expecting the one and got the other. I don't know.
3: There would have been nothing Vietnamese about that. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, but anyway, uh, I'll, I'll leave that there, but I, I will say that I really, really enjoy Stephanie. I always love the, the, the contestants who are super, super strung out, but also super competent and never mean.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's something we could talk about a little bit on the, with the amazing race, uh, getting into the teams a little bit more this week, but, uh, yeah, the, the super competent people who are just not interested in the bullshit, that's sort of what made me fall in love with the show in the first place, in season one with Harold, because he was clearly so exasperated by all the ridiculous things they were having them do, but he also was just knocking out quality food every single week, and not bitching about it too much, Uh, and so yeah, I enjoy that from Stephanie as well, and um, I like some of the other chefs too, but you're right, they can get a little caught up in, in the drama, so... We'll see. I have, like, a top five that I would like to see in the finale, but I, I look forward to maybe being surprised a little bit. And they keep showing ads with Kermit and Dr. John, and I want to see them. Stop showing ads with them and show the episodes that have them. Come on!
3: Yes, I agree. Have you, uh, did you watch Last Chance Kitchen, by the way?
2: No, I have not yet. Did you?
3: No, I just noticed that it was happening, so I thought maybe you did.
2: Okay, I will I will report back when I, when I check in with that one. But for now, I just want to mention quickly, The Voice finished up their battle rounds. Uh, there were some interesting battles. None really exploded in my brain the way that some of them did last season. But I think that in general, the teams are much more consistent and the benches are deeper this season, which makes it much more interesting as far as I'm concerned, because it doesn't feel like the show has decided that a 16-year-old is going to win, regardless of if she has the talent to pull it off. Um, so that's nice. That's nice. Uh, but let's go on to the amazing race, get our groove on, and uh, I would 100% have gone for the polka Challenge. I mean, I already like polkaing because it's amazing and so much fun, and if you don't like to poke, I and you've tried it and given it a real chance and you don't like it, I don't understand you. But uh, what did you think about those challenges?
3: Uh, I mostly just felt bad for the Beardo's because they just got screwed in so many different ways in this episode. First of all, having to put fake beards on top of their real beards.
2: I like that the real beard was longer than the fake beard, by the way. Did you notice that?
3: Yes, I did notice that. They should have been exempt from the beards, frankly, <laughs> because it was such... It, I'm, I'm being kind of serious here. Like It was a serious impairment that they had to put fake beards on, because if they kept the real beards, I, they would have had no trouble getting the coinage almost immediately, I think, anyway. Uh, although, as they mentioned, there may have been some gender discrimination going on as well. But the uh, and then you know, but they soldiered on through every challenge with with the U-turn, and I think they they you know they gave it their all. They were nice to everyone. They never bitched about anything. So it was I, I was sad to see them go.
2: Uh, and they seem to have the right priorities about it as well. I, I guess I'm always a little surprised when you see these teens who are like we're gonna win and that's all they seem to care about i like i always appreciate when a team like the beardos uh, from the season go okay yes it would be great to win but there are 20 teams or or 10 teams or however many teams and there are way uh, too many things that are outside of our control to know that we're gonna win so it's way more important to to experience this ridiculous thing that we're doing right now and to enjoy it so i really appreciated that from them in their exit interview
3: yeah. I I feel like in general the teams are getting more likable. I still have some problems with Tim and Danny and they're there's especially Danny's squeamishness at the whole dress issue was like you you, you you mentioned it once and I get it but over and over and over like okay dude I get it you're comfortable in your manhood um and uncomfortable in everything else. Well,
2: or or you're not because you feel the need to keep talking about how you don't want to be in a dress.
3: Yes, exactly. So. That's yes, that's better put but uh yeah but I, I even tim and marie who continue to behave like assholes a lot still i i mean marie's just sheer unrepentant joy at the news of donuts it was a very <laughs> humanizing moment and and then tim and what's his name's poka was also quite charming
2: mhm definitely the Thing that I particularly enjoyed with the donuts is how many of them were like, "Can I take this?" when they got to the <laughs> last one and they're like, "Oh, they, I seem like almost those must have been really damn good donuts because after having a bite of how many, they still wanted a full donut and running around like that, they still wanted a full donut to take. Like I would have been like, "Can I take a couple of these? Give the partner a chance to try one," but Well, they uh, they've
3: been hauling ass for like 35 hours, so
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true.
3: They they could they could afford to eat a donut or two at that point.
2: Oh, definitely. I just was thinking of like, just. it looks like it, it's fried. It looks like it'd be heavy. I'm just thinking there's, you know, running around and eating fried food is not usually a positive thing for your stomach. But yeah, you. but you're absolutely right. I can't imagine being that exhausted and still being cogent. I like that they had to make be polite a rule uh, for that as well. <laughs> that was kind yeah. of amazing. But um no, it was it was it was a fun episode. Now, who are you rooting for? Who do you want to win? Aside from the pool, by the way, I'm in eighth place now, tied. So basically, so I brought somebody else down to my level. So now we're both in eighth instead of me being in ninth.
3: Nice. Yay. Um, I don't really, I'm not really rooting for anyone, but I am enjoying that there is a higher level of congeniality between teams than usual. Like it took five, six, seven teams for anyone to U-turn anyone. Which is very rare. It was really interesting that Tim Marie didn't U-turn anyone. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I'm just enjoying the ride, much like the Beardos, actually.
2: And it just makes sense, especially if you have a food challenge like this. Obviously, the donuts were delicious, but usually when they have food challenges they become really, it's just, it's hard to eat that much or to eat that, whatever they give them to. It's it's usually not a pleasant challenge. So that seems like the perfect opportunity to split up the list, especially since it's such a huge area and report back. I mean, especially because they know they're in the front of the pack. You know, I don't know. It just seems, it makes sense. And it didn't bother me, I guess. I guess the teaming up thing only starts to bother me when people feel betrayed because... The, this cut their competition they're in, when they were tied for last place, the other team wasn't their friend anymore. It's like, I mean, come on, guys. It's, have you seen the show ever?
3: Yeah. There, there, there's a good level of show awareness from the teams this season, for sure.
2: Definitely helps. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the Afghanimals gotta go. Um, uh, otherwise, I'm pretty much okay with most of the teams. Where are you at with that?
3: Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good description. They were all right this week, but Yeah. I agree.
2: <laughs> we'll see what happens moving forward. What wins your week in reality? I, I'll give
3: it. i give it to Top Chef because it. it if for no other reason than it made me incredibly hungry. I love Vietnamese food.
2: <laughs> nice. And I'll give it uh, I'll give it to The Amazing Race, because that polka looked so much fun. I love that kind of stuff. And those donuts also did look pretty darn delicious when I was By the way, watching them. I'm pretty them. sure
3: they're baked, not fried, in the case of Polish donuts, but I could be wrong.
2: Either way, yummy. Yummy, yummy. Uh, that wraps up our week in reality, so now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. Genre, we had The Walking Dead, Isolation, Supernatural, I'm No Angel, The Grim and Dracula premiere and Pilot, and American Horror Story Coven, The Replacements. I, we also thought we should mention at the top that Sundance will be showing uh, Les, uh, les Revenant. Uh, would you like to give the Montreal pronunciation?
3: Les, les Revenant. But, I mean, they're... I think we're just going to be calling it The Return because that's what it's going to be airing as.
2: So. <laughs> oh, okay. And that'll be starting up this week. So we haven't had a chance to catch up with it yet, but we've heard nothing but positive things. So very exciting to to have that show airing in the U.S. and yes. Canada.
3: And to have something else in our genre lineup ever.
2: Yes. i have got to also, of course, just quickly mention The Walking Dead, which you are you have broken up with. You are not watching. Yes. Of course, the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast should already be out in your podcast feed. We talked this week with, uh, of course, Ricky D., our benevolent leader over at Sound On Sight, as well as Depayance and Gupta, one of our fabulous contributors. And again, that should already be in your podcast feed, or you can find it at uh, at soundonsight.org. Supernatural, I'm no angel. Just wanted to mention it's nice to have cast dealing with humanness. And uh, we get a shade of potential darkness for Ezekiel. Uh, I have a feeling that's going to come back in a big way later, and we'll see. But uh, Supernatural's been, been, had a solid season thus far, and I wanted to mention it. already mentioned that I enjoyed the Grimm premiere last week. My review is up at Sound on Sight, and uh, I, I'm not understanding. I've seen some criticism for this premiere, and which I'm not really getting, because it feels like it's right on track with what the show has been, and will assumedly continue to be, uh, a little more stakes maybe would be nice moving forward changing up the status quo maybe but the status quo is really quite solid and good uh, the base for grim is really it f- feels very confident so I, I understand them not really shaking that up dracula heads pilot uh, our reviewer <laughs> uh at sound of sight liked it quite a bit i don't i just I'm not impressed, but uh, your model may vary, so let us know what you're thinking about Dracula. We will not be reviewing it week to week on the Televerse. Uh, Let's move, though, to American Horror Story Coven, The Replacements, which is our main discussion for this week in genre. What did you think of this episode?
3: I had a blast with this. I have to ask, as someone who's watched all of True Blood, is Coven Coven the show now that's delivering the... Zomg, what the hell am I watching, jolts for you the way True Blood used to, or or is it just a, a, another beast entirely?
2: Yeah, I'm not getting a, oh my god, from, from Coven yet. It needs to go more extreme if that's going to
3: happen. Oh, we need more extreme? Okay. Yeah,
2: I I and again, I clearly if you've listened to the tellers for a while, this may be a shift. This may be a progression in my viewing tendencies or or, or just uh my viewing norms, but I thought it was it was a fun episode, uh, delightfully out there, but but not crazy in the way that say early early Vampire Diaries was or I, I'm not, I, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not having any of the sort of, you know, oh my God, you guys have to be watching this that I had for Orphan Black earlier this year, that I have some of these other genre series.
3: Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's also doing different things. Like the, <laughs> I can't really imagine any of the shows you've already mentioned being all that interested in a frankincest <laughs> plot line. Yep. Uh, which I really would like to know what the phone call to Mayor Winningham's agent was like. <laughs> yeah, we've got this one-episode appearance. Um, it's pretty simple, really. <laughs> and yeah, I, I would. I, I hope Ryan Murphy called her up directly, because uh, that, that was one of two instances in this episode where I said, oh, wow, just like that, mm-hmm. out loud. The other one being obviously... Minotaur sex. I've actually referred to. I've heard it referred to as minotaur sex. It could be minotaur rape. We're not really sure.
2: Well, it, it's. I think that uh, it's a very complicated scene. Now, I I was not surprised when that happened, though, because I had been sort of predicting that earlier in the episode when she was looking at over at, at the hot guys. I was like, hey, we've seen her, you know, injure herself or create pain in herself to create pain in others. I've a feeling we're gonna see the flip of that, maybe. And so when when that comes uh at the end of the episode, uh I wasn't particularly surprised. And if you're gonna call it Minotaur rape or something like that, I think you gotta put that first I gotta put that on her. She's assaulting him because or it. It's very – it's deliciously complicated. And then, of course, we don't really know what happens at the end of that scene because they cut away.
3: See, I – well, yeah, exactly. But, see, I I get to be dumb in this episode because I didn't even think about the the voodoo aspect. Of, oh,
2: yeah, totally.
3: Yeah, so – because I, I was just thinking about I, – I mean, obviously, I was distracted by the Minotaur. But,
2: <laughs> well, and then what's interesting about that is she's, you know – pleasuring herself theoretically but as she doesn't feel any pain when she's projecting it onto someone else so she doesn't feel any pleasure when she's projecting that on onto him at least
3: not necessarily
2: yeah so so it's it's very interesting and uh i really hope we we explore some of that further It it there's there's (laughs) so much potential there there's so and again i i've been seeing it's one of the things i tweeted out this week uh, this maybe would fit better under drama, but I've really been enjoying sort of the subtextual gender statements and uh, examinations that have been happening on on Scandal and Elementary and Parenthood and some of these other series. And, and I think there's a lot of very interesting discussion happening on Coven as well, again, subtextually, because they don't feel the need to punctuate all of this stuff. But instead, just having a scene like that it, where you're having what you know a a woman or a girl depending on how you want to call her in that position of sexual aggression or is it or you know it's it's really complicated and it's very interesting so i would like well, to see more let's, exploration
3: let's remember she's also trying to make sure the minotaur doesn't kill anyone
2: yeah but if she if she had that had happened at that point she could have just, like, le- he, his Minotaur was calmed. She could have just left him in, locked him in the shed or whatever that is and walked away and she didn't.
3: Right, yeah. Okay, so, fair enough. Um, we have to mention the scenes with Kathy Bates coming to terms lies. or not coming to terms. Oh my god. The sound that Kathy Bates makes when she <laughs> finds out they have a black president was the best sound of any show in a long time. I just uh I could watch I could live in that scene. It was just too perfect.
2: Have you seen the it gif? Was, it's amazing.
3: Yes, I have seen the gif. It was the fictional TV equivalent of that picture of Rick Santorum and his family after he lost. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I'll show it to you later. It's pretty perfect, but it's it's the it's just as satisfying, if not more so. I loved every single bit of that. They're just I I mean, I, I mean, I I assume that she'll have an actual plot role to play at some point later. But for now, this is really satisfying.
2: <laughs> well, and just teaming her up with Gadare- G- Gabrielle Sidibe this week was just fantastic and delightful. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I love that dynamic. I hope it continues. And Kathy Bates is just. She's just grabbed that character by the throat and just is having so much fun with it. And the show is as well. It's just delightful. A horribly racist monster of a character is delightful.
3: Yes. And uh, the show's also having a blast killing everybody, Mm -hmm. which is a a bit of an American Horror Story staple. But maybe I'm silly, but I I really didn't expect them to kill F.M. Roberts immediately. I mean, obviously, again, on a show like this doesn't really matter, but still. I appreciated yeah. it.
2: Well, it, I was watching it, thinking, okay, this is this the scene can end one of two ways, and I wasn't expecting it to end either of those ways when the episode started. But uh, they're not both leaving alive, and I don't think they're gonna kill Jessica Lang. Maybe that would be a, a huge shock because they just they'd be killing their star. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I wasn't hugely surprised when they 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 killed emma roberts but it was still incredibly effective and that goes to the performance and the the direction and the writing of of the scene because it seemed i was watching this knowing intellectually that's where they were headed just based on having seen a lot of tv uh but but it still did not lose any of its power in the immediacy of the scene either and that's that's a feat
3: yeah, and I, and again, I think those their scenes together are great for that subtext you were talking about in terms of the. I mean, the major theme of the entire show this season has been women and aging and anxieties around that, and and you know, voodoo or witchery or plastic surgery or modern modern medicine in general. Those parallel. I mean, I've just loved all that action, and I'm and I think one of the strengths of. The show and something that isn't always there on Ryan Murphy shows is its willingness to evoke all these ideas without feeling the need to make a specific do you see point about it (laughs) because that just gets my goat every time.
2: Yeah. The other element that I do want to mention and ask you about what was with the fisheye lens for two thirds of the episode that then is dropped?
3: Oh, that was that was definitely my pet peeve. I actually was talking with Ricky D about this. Um, You know, the the fisheye lens is kind of is it's definitely a visual trademark for the show. And in a lot of scenes where they deploy it, it makes sense. But here in this episode it's deployed in the middle of a dinner scene from the perspective of no one in particular. And it was very frustrating. (laughs)
2: Well, because I was watching it, waiting, I was like, okay, this is actually, it looks great, the, the really interesting visual, it's a very distinct choice, but hey, you know, I'm good with it. But then it just stops, for no reason, I was like, when it kept going on, I was like, oh, is this whole episode gonna be fisheye? Okay, that's kind of weird, but whatever, but then it just stops, and there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it, uh, or it, there doesn't need to seem to be, at least unless I'm missing it, a thematic or a character basis for that choice and so that's why i was having some trouble with it
3: yeah i agree it was not not a fantastic directing choice but otherwise i think a pretty solid episode that i found that i was never ever bored with let's just say
2: So what wins, uh, well, for you, your weekend genre, well, it just is Coven, so Coven wins. I'm gonna give it to Coven as well. I, I had a lot of fun with this episode, and, uh, I'm enjoying Supernatural, I'm feeling Supernatural with their Oz is Real episode that's coming up next, this week, which should be amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, may, maybe have a run for it, may give Coven a run for its money next week, as well as, of course, uh, Les Revenants or The Returned premiering, but, uh. But yeah, this week I'm giving it to Coven. All right. And so with that, let's take a break and come back with our weekend drama.
0: I was lost in sin and sorrow On an aisle in life's dark sea. On board and follow me. Tis the old ship of sight, ship of Zion, ship of Tis the old ship of sight, ship of Zion, ship of Zion. Daddy, are you all right? I'm fine. People are looking at me.
2: This week in drama, we have Scandal, Say Hello to My Little Friend, Parenthood, Let's Be Mad Together, Boardwalk Empire, The Old Ship of Zion, and Masters of Sex, Catherine. We're going to kind of go through these quickly since we have a fabulous spotlight coming up next. But uh, Scandal, I wanted to mention because I wrote a review this week over at Send on Sight. And I liked about two-thirds, half to two-thirds of this. Just the procedural, the, the case of the week episode was far from interesting, despite having cast members I very much enjoy, or guest cast that I very much enjoy. Everything with uh, Olivia, though, continues to be really interesting, and the way that the writers and Carrie Washington have really developed her this season has been uh, really impressive, as far as I'm concerned. Watching her deal with, or watching her regress to almost a childlike state at, at times, due to the influence of her evil, evil father, has been very, very interesting to watch. So, I'm still enjoying Scandal this season. Parenthood, let's be mad together.
3: In which Crosby and Adam decide they want to be Steve Albini. Uh, I'm going to ignore that plot line because there's, I I, I could, I I could talk about little individual geeky bits of that forever and I'm not going to do it, (laughs) but uh, Parenthood continues to be very fun and relaxing. Does that make sense? It's. It's, uh, as we discussed last week, it's not so much low stakes as human stakes, and I, I think they're they're doing a great job just fo- honing in on these mic- seemingly microscopic issues, at least in terms of what we see on the television landscape, and just letting us explore them in a way that feels natural and not unnecessarily heightened with good writing and direction and acting. What's wrong with that?
0: Yeah,
2: exactly. We had a... Beautiful scene with with Bonnie Bedelia and Erica Christensen this this week that I had to mention what what seemed like a potential um, infidelity arc that they were building to with Christensen. Right this episode, it seems like it's actually not about that at all, but about the power dynamic and the the balance in that relationship and feeling like you have a voice and and, and are respected. Your opinions are in your your thoughts are expected in your relationship. And if that's the way they're going and we get more stuff like this, I am excited to see what comes next. Cause I I thought that scene with Julia and Camille was beautiful as well as the scene with Julia and Zeke at the end of the episode as well. Um. So yeah, I've really liked those moments. And I also really liked with uh, the, the closing sort of sequence with, with Sarah and Ryan again, this show has a respect for, People caring, you know, wanting to know what's going on with somebody, and I, I very much appreciate that.
3: Yeah, that was that was a real heartbreaker, that scene. And, you know, I, I've never been sure ever since Ryan first showed up whether or not he was sticking around. He's always, Matt is always just the guest star. And, you know, he's, but I, I kind of feel like if the show keeps going, he's going to have to, he's going to have to worm his way into the opening credits because... Or rather, into the actual intro, because I feel like he's just part of the family now. That kid's not going anywhere.
2: Yeah. Knock on wood, man. Because now I feel like they're going to kill him or something, just because we've gotten... Parenthood doesn't
3: kill people. He
2: could get called back up to the army. That could happen. It's, like, more likely to happen for him than anyone. But anyways, let's move on to our our next drama, which is Boardwalk Empire, The Old Ship of Zion, and of course my review for that is up at Sundance site. You heard that Beautiful rendition of The Old Ship of opening up this uh, segment of the podcast. Can we talk just for briefly for a moment? How gorgeous is all the music this season? I, I love that they brought in a singer uh, first as opposed to actress first for that role of daughter Maitland.
3: Yeah, she's great. I mean, she's great in general. I don't remember ever seeing her before in anything. And it's impressive on, on her part that she managed to land a role this prominent on a show with this kind of ensemble, so props to her. She deserves it. Is it just me, or were people, like, really freaking out about this episode? Yeah, they were. What was that about? I'm not sure. I think people really want to freak out about Boardwalk Empire because they've invested so much time. But it was a fine episode. It was a a perfectly good episode of Boardwalk Empire, but I kind of feel the same way about it as I feel about this entire season, which is, it just seems to be kind of happening. Yeah. Like, you know, individual scenes are good. Like, obviously, Chalky versus Narcisse on the street. It's a really nicely staged sequence with some memorable moments, and that happens here and there throughout the episode. But it also exposed for me just how, you know, when Sally shows up in Atlantic City, you can't take your eyes off her because she's such an interesting character. And you also can't take your eyes off her because she's in all of her scenes with Nucky. And you want to just look at anything else?
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. She was uh, a breath of fresh air this week in uh, in Atlantic City, and I, I've been saying that about some of the characters of the course of the season. What is most interesting to me about about Narcisse right now, and ha- making him this sort of like frustrated playwright, is is uh, an interesting move, but. They spent uh, the first half of the season trying to make him seem badass and cool and everything, and now it seems like they're trying to reverse some of that by getting him tied up in ego in a way that he didn't seem to be as much earlier. Um, Jeffrey Wright, in his first two appearances, was electric this season, and now I, I, I don't feel like there's been any progression with that character. We found out more information about him, about his backstory with with Daughter, but that doesn't feel in any way connected to the person we have seen at all,
3: yeah I agree
2: its, it's, it's a, it just it's it feels very disconnected daughter, I think Margot Bingham is actually doing a really good job with what they're giving her to do, but she, they're not giving her anything to do, and uh it's she makes a ch- choice this week. I'm curious, did you see that coming because I saw that coming a mile away
3: that entire scene, how many times have we seen this sequence where like you know we're waiting you know two people, one of whom is a main character, and I'm talking about t v and film get in a brawl. It seems like the main character is losing, and we're meant to forget there's another person in the room who's perfectly capable of intervening yeah. and then they and then they they inevitably intervene at the at the precise moment. I will say that they did a good job on um of making it seem like Michael k. Williams' eyes were going to pop out of his head, which was very stressful <laughs> but Come on, there was, that was, that, how did people not see that coming? I I don't understand,
2: yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I do think it was beautifully acted and performed and staged. Uh, Obviously, watching this, I knew and you knew, I'm sure many, many viewers knew that daughter was going to come in and break up the fight and, you know, choose Chalky, but Chalky doesn't know that. And so, that you know, I, I I really got a strong sense of that. Um, I thought, actually, Michael K. Williams is fantastic throughout the episode. They actually gave him something to do this week, and then he, he did stuff. So, yeah, apparently, if you give him things to act, he will act them well, as we surprise. already surprise, Shock and astonishment. But, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. This People were kind of going... Uh, maybe the, it was the hype going into it, but people were really excited about this episode, and I thought it was just very similar strengths and weaknesses as we've had all season. So, yep. give an actor good material and they will they will sing. Yes. But uh, sometimes literally. Um and uh get, give them nothing to do and they will fall back into the the wallpaper. Sort of like like uh, Nucky does. I do really like Nucky with Sally. I think she makes him more fun, but then she gets back on the car and she's not going to be here next week. Do you think there's any chance that Eli now working, as, I think we are to assume that with N- N- Agent Knox is going to take down Nucky. No, zero percent chance, right? Yes. So I just I don't get. I, I think I think compare has a stakes problem. I don't yeah. believe I don't believe them when they say people are a threat.
3: I mean I I love Shea Wiggum, and I I think he's he will do a great job playing this arc, but no, I don't. I, I agree. They do have a stakes issue.
2: Yeah. As soon as. Soon as Eli's put in that position, I'm like, oh, it's been nice knowing you, Eli. Well, it kind of has because I don't feel like I actually know you yet, but I, I feel like he's going to go down, not Nucky. That's what's going to... Either he's going to die or he's going to end up in jail or that's what I'm seeing happening, at least. I don't know. We'll see. There's still there's still a few more episodes to come. Let's move on to Masters of Sex. Catherine.
3: Right, which was for me the weepy episode. I don't know about you, but uh, I needed a, a hanky or seven for this one. <laughs> And uh, let's get the one issue out of the way quickly. I'm not totally sold on what they're doing with Ethan. I don't believe that they're necessarily angling for us to root for them, for her and Ginny as a couple. Uh, I don't think that's where they're headed with it, but I feel like they skipped some evolutionary steps with that character, potentially. Um, We may see some backsliding in future episodes, but I I really don't know. So I'm, I'm confused about what they're doing with that. But for me, pretty much the rest of the episode was pretty great.
2: Yeah, pay no attention to the fact that he is an abuser. Isn't he adorable holding a child? Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm I'm frustrated with that character only because it. As I said last week, they took him to that extreme in the pilot and have since. It seems like they regretted doing that and they want us to forget that that ever happened. And I can't. But uh, the rest of the episode, I thought this episode. If I could forget that he hit Ginny in the pilot. I thought he, he, Ethan in this episode was really good. Um, unfortunately, dot dot dot. Anyways, uh the rest of this episode I think is really good and um very interesting. I like the addition of Alice and Janny, but I'm still waiting for the fireworks that we were promised with that character's a- arrival. There was lots of buzz about Alice and Janny's gonna show up and then it's the show gets goes into a new gear. We haven't seen that yet. But I do think everything with Libby is fantastic this week, and um, those closing moments with Michael Sheen are, of course, fantastic. And so there's a, lot, there's a lot to like here.
3: Yeah, and is it just me, or the fact that we actually see the stillbirth was mm-hmm. really unexpected to me?
2: Yeah, usually that gets, you know, fast-forwarded in, in, in shows. Um, that, was, that was very, and watching him actually hold the baby um, was very effective.
3: Yes, and uh, yeah, some props to Caitlin Fitzgerald, who I think is pro- who wins my most improved award.
2: Definitely, I was about to say the exact same thing. Absolutely, uh, she's really good this week and has been the past couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens next. That's um, that. That's I don't know exactly where they're going to go. I was trying to look up on Google to, uh, to see if if uh, they they had any children because I want her to be able to have a kid. So they need to just. Okay, not, no spoilers for real life. No spoilers for real life, Kate. Okay. Um, the other thing I need to mention about about this episode is why why won't my dick work? I think I may have laughed more at that than anything else all week. That was brilliant. <laughs> I've,
3: I've, I've seen the next episode, and there's a similar... There's sort of a, a female equivalent line that's, I would argue, just as good. But Nice well it, it's not exactly what you think it might be but anyway we'll we'll, we'll get there um yeah there's there's a lot to like this this week and I have to say that I, I'm taking less issue with the scoring of the show which is extremely melodramatic uh, partially because it's mixed really low which maybe that's just how I'm hearing it on my speakers but it's it's not as prominent in the mix as it is on some other shows uh, and partially because with each passing week it feels more like a straight-up melodrama or even a soap opera which is Totally cool by me as long as it as long as the acting and writing stay this good, so I, I'm I'm enjoying the way they're sort of like Todd Haynes is far from heaven like they're using the tenets of melodrama to do something different with the period and I I find that totally fascinating.
2: Interesting. Well, what wins your week in drama, sir?
3: I'll give it to Masters of Sex uh, this week for sure.
2: I'll give it to I think really liked masters of sex but i also really liked parenthood um that scene with max at the end was really great um but i'll give it i'll give it to masters of sex um but the honorable mention to parenthood which continues with
3: with an ethan shaped asterisk
2: (laughs) with an ethan shaped asterisk and now we're going to take a break listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on the good wife hitting the fan
0: Come down, Satan. Your kingdom must come down.
2: That was Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down, which was featured in the trailer for the upcoming episodes of the rest of the season uh, of The Good Wife this week. And I wanted to use some of that amazing scoring, but there was always dialogue on top, so no dice. Uh, this was the episode we've all been waiting for this season. From uh, As soon as we saw that first trailer that had J- uh, Josh Charles sweeping off the desk... Uh, We knew there was going to be an intense showdown, and it happened this week in hitting the fan. What did you you think? Did it live up to the hype?
3: Absolutely it did. It's unthinkable for any other show right now, especially network or cable, doesn't matter, to pull off what they did this week. I mean, I guess American Horror Story could do it, but they don't count because they've only got 13-episode series. I mean... After this episode, the only part of the premise that still remains is that Alicia is a lawyer. That's it. Yeah. Like, the, she's she's no longer having any marital difficulty with Chris Noth. She's not an employee of Lockhart Gardner. Soon, Lockhart Gardner may not exist, although it's looking like that's not going to be the case. Former friends and lovers are now bitter enemies. It, it's epic. It's epic, epic stuff.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, uh... The, remember at the start of the season how uh, when I was going, they should have just fast-forwarded to them at the new firm. Wrong. Huh.
0: <laughs> so wrong.
2: This is me yeah. eating all of the crow. Uh, Yeah, because this was amazing, and it would not have been if they hadn't built it up so meticulously over the course of the beginning of this season. And I, I loved this episode, Uh, but I wasn't surprised that I loved this episode. I was surprised that I was uh, watching it with My my sister and my dad, because they watch Amazing Race. And so I was like, hey, why don't we just watch Good Wife together? So they did. I think they just didn't want to move. I think they were just comfy on the couch or something. But they watched this and they I don't think ever seen The Good Wife. And they loved it. They were riveted. They were like, oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Well, it
3: almost feels like a second pilot.
2: Yeah, I could see that.
3: it even necessitated, like you said, another season trailer afterwards just so be Don't worry, there's still show people. We <laughs> we did blow it up, but it's just it's to make room for something new. And frankly, like I could have watched another umpteenth seasons of regular Good Wife just doing its thing, but hey, if they wanna do what do we call this new good wife? Is it still do we still call it the good wife? We still
2: call it the good wife, yeah.
3: I, I, I guess. Like th- they could just it's like they just created their own spin-off but then torched the old show <laughs> behind them. Like it's there's really no parallel for what they've done. It, this was like the, the good wife equivalent of the red wedding, except everybody dies. <laughs> except <laughs> they're Nobody not really dies. dead, but Yeah. Their, their their definitions have died.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess it's time to get into the specifics, but you know what this episode does is it, instead of giving us all these amazing, colorful guest characters to be uh, who our, our leads are vying with, our leads are vying with each other now. Who do you care? Who, who do you want to win? Because I like people on both sides a lot. I don't dislike anyone, really, and even the people that I don't really like, you're not supposed to like, like David Lee, and he's delicious in his evilness. right, and, yes. yeah, I, I mean, this is just a brilliant, brilliant move, and so beautifully executed.
3: Yeah, and it's you know I, I've, I've listened to the Kings talk a little bit about their conception of Alicia as a character, and they're bored're <laughs> they're, they're, they're bored with the idea of of a nice protagonist. They don't find that interesting at all. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a shock to me at all to see Alicia just get more and more cynical. Not just over the course of the show, but even just over the course of this episode, she just becomes diabolical. Even her even her little sarcastic asides, like her little hand gestures in the courtroom and things like that.
2: Oh my God, that was amazing! <laughs> oh, that was so good because she was uh, like it, staying above it for most of that, and then and then she just dives right down in the muck with everybody else. Oh.
3: yeah, she's you know upset at the end of the. I, we can't even call what the good wife does cold opens because they're just too long and there's too much yeah. going on. But right before the title card, she's upset. But for the rest of the episode, she just gets together and is in ass like she says ass kicking mode. Uh, you know, this is kind of what actually what I wanted out of Olivia Pope on Scandal and didn't get in the one episode I watched. But the yeah, the, they're doing they've done such a fantastic job with that character and all other characters. The only I, I only have one concern going forward, which is that. Alicia's going to be off in Floric August, obviously, with Carrie and who? like Robin? And Robin and other Carrie and a bunch of anonymous people, we we, we they know we don't care about. They're smart yeah. enough yeah. to know that. So yeah. that I am concerned about, um, that we're going to be spending so much time, in theory, with those people around and what they're going to do about that. So, yeah, we'll see. But that's—it feels churlish to complain about anything in this episode. <laughs> um, the, just the momentum, the editing, the writing,
2: the scoring,
3: the the scoring.
0: Um.
2: I, I, I did want to specifically mention something about the score. I love that not only does it tie in with their frequent use of classical music, that it's it's original music composed in the baroque style i love that it is baroque underscoring for most of the time with those strings that's completely Baroque, and i just <sighs> like the notion of all this underscored by bach and Handel and everything i just like i was imagining i was imagining the stage version of this with the pit orchestra underneath and it, it felt so appropriate i loved it any thoughts on the score
3: uh, the scoring is always great, except for uh, occasionally they'll go into uh, schmaltzy soundtrack territory. But the, the, that was obviously nowhere to be seen this week.
2: Oh, but how have we not mentioned the elevators?
3: Oh, oh yes. Yeah, at some point it, when The Good Wife eventually ends, hopefully in 2020 or something, uh, they someone needs to do like an epic supercut of every elevator scene they've ever done because that... That that elevator, which somehow they seem to only have one of them, um, <laughs> that elevator just contains so many feelings.
2: All of the feelings. And, and having both that beautiful but terrible scene of Alicia crying and the elevator, and then the next elevator is Carrie, do- and the doors just won't. You know, it's played for comedy. I, <laughs> yes. I loved that. Oh, so good.
3: Yes. They, they own the elevator scene now.
2: Yeah, it used to belong to Grace. Grey's Anatomy. And Grace still does a lot of really fun stuff with elevators. But uh, uh, Good Wife came along and said, oh, that's a great idea. I'll take that. Thank you very much. And now it's theirs. It belongs to the Good wife.
3: Beautiful. Lovely. Honestly, the, the only thing that, that I wasn't sure about was uh, Kalinda and her um, Archie Punjabi's performance throughout the episode, because everyone else is on full tilt. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. And she's so reserved. And I thought... Okay, for just, just for this episode, just for this one, I would have liked to have seen a little bit of panic.
0: Well,
2: she doesn't need panic, though, because she, she knew this was coming. So she's prepared, and she's not, she's not surprised to see it turn into a shitstorm. Uh, Alicia was under some delusion that, that she could leave gracefully. And, uh, you know, it, and obviously everybody at Lockhart Gardner is thrown for a loop. Kalinda knew this was coming, and she knows the people well enough to know this was the only way this was going to happen because it's not about profession. It's not about, it's not about professionalism. It's not about the business. It is about will and Alicia and their personal relationship. And this is a rejection by her of him. And that is why he's now like in his, uh, you know, Ozymandias mode at the end.
3: Right. Yeah. Can, can we, I would like to know what your individual favorite scene was. Cause for me, it's really hard to top will and Peter on the phone. That was just. Can, can we can we establish something because my I don't have perfect series recall. D- did anyone ever actually tell him that Will and Alicia slept together? Or did he just intuit it, which would have been fair?
2: I I think I think he just he knew like nobody told him, but he found out. So I think like we saw him find out, but or uh, figure it out. Yeah, or fig. Yeah, but we. I don't. I, at least that's what I'm remembering. That was an excellent scene, but uh, clearly I have to give it to that opening before oh, the, that the, scene. The entire
3: fourteen-minute opening. No, the,
2: Josh Charles finding from Will finding out, and that amazing performance by Josh Charles, while and, and excellent supporting performance in that scene as well from Christine Baranski, uh, to walking into Alicia's office to that that confrontation. There, I mean, it's really hard to top that. And then the only other contender for me is just. The amazingness of that phone call with Alicia, then transitioning into oh, and your daughter called.
3: Yeah. Oh yes, and their little their little peace accord moment.
2: <laughs> yeah. of Normalcy. Was fantastic. And, oh, okay. Thank you. What was it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> and, and just like
2: the, the just the confusion on both of their faces because they you know they they so quickly go back into normal mode and they, and they hang up and they're like. What just happened?
3: Right, because they have to adjust from being people to being monsters again.
2: Yeah, no, it's just so beautifully handled, and of course, th- this uh, this also a clear structure to this episode, where for the first several acts, we open with a new character finding out what's going on. So first, it's it's Will, and then it is what Kalinda, and then it's Peter. Yes, and then the last the last chunk, uh, it's it's building on, on that momentum, but. Uh, I mean, that was a very intelligent structure, and it really, you know, kind of lets us check in with everybody while all of this chaos is, is is going on.
3: I I loved the many scenes in Daniel Gross's Stairwell.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when they brought the actor back, I was like, oh, they got to be having him do something. They brought up, nope, just two scenes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was pretty great. The, uh, the, I mean, there was really not a single step put wrong in this at all, and it, they were doing so much. Like, there's no... Real, like I I keep trying to think of of precedents for what The Good Wife is doing, and I can't think of any because, yes, there have been other legal dramas or like soapy procedurals or you know watching professionals do their thing while genitals get in the way, but there, but with this many characters in this many settings with this kind of guest cast going into so many spheres of society, like I can't think of another show that touches on this on this many spheres of society except for The Wire. And you never compare things to The Wire because it's not fair to the other shows. <laughs> like that's serious pe- that's serious business people.
2: Well, you know what I think is uh is also a good sign of of just how great this show is. I finished watching this and then immediately thought I bet Louis Canning is cackling in delight right now.
3: <laughs> right, yes, you're imagining what the the ancillary characters are thinking.
2: Yeah, what the rest of the world? How the rest of the world is going to be affected? Absolutely.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't imagine we're going to see a lot of Lewis Canning for very obvious reasons.
2: For, yes, clearly, but still, yeah, we'll see other we'll see other people reacting to this to the shake up. Maybe we'll get a little Martha Plimpton action, but um, but no, I, I think we also should talk about Peter at the end. Besides just that fabulous phone call with with Will, but uh, bad bad Peter, bad Peter, bad. Come on. Well, it's
3: it's so great to see them bring Bad Peter back in service of Alicia.
0: Mhm.
3: As opposed to Bad Peter just, you know, following his Johnson around. The, <laughs> there 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 is one shot in the season preview that has me concerned. You can probably guess what yep. it is.
2: Yep. I can. But
3: uh I I I'm, I'm wondering if that's just a fake out because I can't see them going that route, but
2: eh. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I was, uh, you know, not particularly impressed, but not surprised to see the chum hum thing. But Diane, come on, come on. Get you can't take away Diane's judgeship. That's just a dick move. And it helps Lockhart Gardner because if Lockhart isn't there, then Lockhart, Lockhart Gardner is kind of screwed.
3: Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily thinking that one through. But yeah, you know, that's that's Peter for you.
2: I was also thinking of Zach Woods, by the way, and and the NSA. Anytime anyone was on the cell phone.
3: Oh, the whole NSA, I, I, can, can you imagine if they'd had just one NSA cutaway in this episode? I feel like it would have made it just, just a
2: teensy no, little bit no. better. It would have distracted. It would, no, not necessary. Those of us no, who see, remember, I, you know.
3: I, I would have liked just one cutaway to them just listening and just like, just appreciating popcorn. the zinginess of it all. Popcorn. Yeah, popcorn would have been good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally. Oh man, this was an, just, it was so good. Such an amazing episode. I feel like we're leaving everything out, but. What's left to mention?
3: Um, I mean, in retrospect, I wonder if when they introduced Robin, if they knew exactly what they were going to be doing and if we all should have figured it out immediately. (laughs) Um, But I I really do love Jess Weixler on the show. And I'm, I'm glad they haven't just made us dislike her because she's not Kalinda.
2: Yeah, that's true.
3: Although maybe some people feel that way, I don't know.
2: Oh, she's awesome. I, I really like Robin. She she was a good addition. It helps that she was coming after Scott Porter's character in that role. Yes, um, certainly helps there. Uh, we should we can mention Zach and his continuing the continuing saga of his Lincoln assignment, which apparently was an intentional season long kind of running gag by the writers. So keep an eye out for that moving forward.
3: I like the one scene with Grace.
2: Yeah. Oh, skeezy, bad, bad other Carrie. <laughs> I don't believe that He cares about prayer at all. Um, she's like 16 or something. She's in high school. That's totally gross. Um, anyways, the um, the other thing I'll mention is that scene with Diane and Carrie, and she's all like, you should have just come to me. He's like, oh, oh, honey, you didn't want to hear any of that. And I loved how terrible Carrie is at this, you know, giving away like everything in his conversation with her.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he's total totally outmatched. So we'll... Yeah, I just the 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 only concern is how what Floric Agos is going to look like and how we're going to be invested in them other than with Floric and to a lesser degree Agos, who I feel like we've lost sight of Carrie's sympathetic qualities completely.
2: Yeah, but I, I do think he's very very justified, and I like that they gave him that moment this week in saying, "Okay, you fired me once, then you hired me back and told and promised me a partnership, and then you took the partnership away." Why would I ever trust you and want to stay here?
3: Yeah. Uh, and they didn't let Christine Baranski give him a, give, give him a, a second of that either. So, yeah, lots of great writing and performance work all around. I mean, I, I again, if you've never watched The Good Wife, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't start with this episode. You'll be briefly confused, probably. But since all the relationships get shaken up this week anyway, you'll have more way more appreciation if you've seen what came before. But if not... It'll have its own crazy quality
2: Yeah, definitely Oh, by the way, nice touch Diane's still in her wedding dress This whole time
3: I didn't even pick up on that But that's pretty awesome
2: Yeah, pretty great Pretty great. Well, uh, that wraps up our week in TV and our spotlight. A few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Steve Procopi, uh, Capone from Unit Cool News. All right, our outro music is "Sweet Petite" by The Bicycles. You can find the post up at soundonsite.org for this episode, where you can leave us comments. Let us know what you thought about all of this week's fabulous television. You can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we're also up in Facebook. You can like us to follow what's going on at Sound Soundonsite TV, as well as let us again let us know. What you're thinking about tv you can email us the televerse at gmail.com and of course we're both on twitter i am at the televerse, and you are
3: at sucker howl
2: and simon what's our question of the week
3: i don't even want to ask anything this week i just want to be like dude watch that watch good that wife. thing we just talked about because i know that not enough people are watching it especially people in the demo shall we say
2: <laughs> so that why, why do we have that be our question uh have you watched the good wife and if not what is wrong with you
3: yes just start start there just watch that. Start there. Don't worry about past stuff. You can get to that later. Just watch that. Watch that. Watch, <laughs> is that a question now, if I say it watch like that? that?
2: Okay, watch you just go that? off at the end. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> and with that, we'll go to our DVD shelf with Steve Procopi talking Trilogy of Terror and Carrie, the 2002 TV movie version.
0: Hey, Mother, you should see what I'm getting for his birthday. It's a, a genuine Zuni fetish doll. I bought it in a curio shop on 3rd Avenue. Arthur teaches anthropology, that's why I got it for him. It's a Zuni hunting fetish. <laughs> it's really interesting. There's supposed to be some Zuni hunter's spirit inside of it. <laughs> and um, there's a golden chain wrapped around it to keep the spirit from making the doll come to life. Come to life. It says, should the chain be removed, spirit and doll become one living Well, that's what it says on the scroll. The scroll. It it, it comes with a doll inside the box. You should see his face, Mom. Mom? Why is it always like this? Woe to the woman who makes garments with lustful purpose, for she is prideful and curses and rejects the Lord. Sometimes I think you make those things up. Ezekiel, chapter 13. Read it for yourself. I'll read it later. Read it now. I'm busy, Mama. You've gone so far astray, I fear for you. You really think I'm going to burn in hell, Mama, just for going to my prom? I don't want to think about what's going to happen to you. Sin knows you now. It'll find you. Your sin will find you, Carrie, and when it does, not even Jesus can help you. Jesus will help me. He will help me if I really need him. Not if he doesn't love you anymore. loves everybody, Mama. Even me.
2: the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and it's that time it's the time for me to get scared by horror movies other people have seen horror tv movies we should say and uh miniseries and the like Uh, that that's right steve kropi is back for steve's horror picks number three this time we're talking about carrie the 2002 version but first trilogy of terror steve welcome back to the show and why do i keep doing this to myself
1: Because it's a growing experience. You're a better person because of it. You know it. (laughs) You're overcoming your fears, and that's always a good thing.
2: Uh, Well, as ever, I appreciate you being my guide to (laughs) nightmares. Though I think just throwing me in the deep end with, uh, with Salem's Lot to start. Yeah. This whole experience was probably a good call. I don't think I'll ever be as traumatized as I was by Salem's <laughs> Lot. Uh, let's let's talk about these two these two TV movies. What made you want to talk about first Trilogy of Terror?
1: Tril- Trilogy of Terror is like one of the very first times I remember being scared as a kid. Um, it, it's it's three separate stories. Of course, it's the third one that scares everyone that everyone remembers that everybody have T shirts of. A, a particular character in that one, but yeah, I just, re- I just remember that one being an early traumatizer of, of young me. Uh, so, and, and I, you know, and, and as, as the years have gone on, uh, I start to realize sort of the historical significance of it as well, uh, in terms of both horror on television and just the, the writings of Richard Matheson, uh, as I sort of became more acquainted with those ma- mainly through the twilight zone stuff. But, um, but, yeah, I just, I, I, just, both historically and just personally, it's always been a, a favorite of mine.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's one I had not heard of, but I felt like I should have after watching it. Um, I guess before, we'll, we'll kind of split these into the three stories, but <laughs> I think some are more successful than others. And uh, the, they're certainly darker than others. There's like, a, I don't know, we'll, we'll get into it in more specifics but before we do that Simon had you seen Trilogy of Terror before?
3: No um, I'm familiar with Karen Black who of course stars in all three segments and of course with Richard Matheson who uh, wrote the third segment and provided the impetus for the other two uh, but no I hadn't seen it and I think yeah you're understating when you say that some segments are more <laughs> successful than others I mean let's get it right out of the way the middle segment isn't good <laughs> yeah, the middle segment is is the is is the opposite of good.
2: The, it's playing on on twins, and one's good and one's bad. And I guess maybe if you in this in the, you know when this aired in the seventies, if you hadn't seen it done on like every TV show, you wouldn't figure out that it's one person with split personality. Uh, I don't. Do you have any insight on that? For, for for Steve, have you seen it before we did?
1: Uh, I. You know, I, honestly, just even the way it's structured, there, there's no other conclusion you can come to from the, like the first scene. Yeah. It, you, just, you just know that they're talking about the person in the room who's not in the room yet. But I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It it, it is weak, but I mean, I I love it because it's it's the campiest it's like this terrible acting exercise or more like a a acting class exercise um, that, that, that Karen Black tries to pull off. And, you know, I mean, you know, technically in this film, she plays four characters and I kind of love that they did that, but it's not scary. It's not suspenseful. It's not, I mean, I mean, if you're going to have that bold title of trilogy of terror, give us something and there's nothing there. There's (laughs) nothing there. That will be scary it's it's not even sort of creepy or anything like that i don't know it, it especially her her character of um therese is that was that the the yeah. sexy one yeah yeah she's not she's like yeah it's like seriously it's like acting one o one sexy it's just not even <laughs> appealing. i mean she's a she was beautiful back then for sure, but uh but yeah nothing nothing there's just nothing to it it really isn't
2: yeah there it is sort of though uh, and i find found both. The second one, Millicent and Therese or Therese and Julie, interesting in this way, they are fucked up. <laughs> okay, so so Millicent and Therese, for those who don't know, it's about a woman who develops multiple personality uh after after basically being raped by her father and killing her mother, and then her father dies and she has this, you know, psychotic break that is some dark shit and it's not really explored the way that one might hope and then as we move move to uh julie that early early in that story we watch Karen Black get raped yay well by, it's by it's
3: delighted al- it's it's lighted at least
2: <laughs> i mean when we're watching it we don't know that it's all part of her plan and it's it's some fucked up shit for tv in the 70s yeah we- what?
1: I will. I will say. I when I was watching, I haven't seen this in probably at least ten years, and I would kind of forgotten how it plays out. That, that a lot of what happened, well, all of what happens to her is by design, by her design. Mm-hmm. Um So I'm sitting here watching the beginning of it, going, "How did I forget that there was this horrible, yeah, rapey thing going on here?" And. And then I then as it it plays out, I'm like, oh, right, because it's not that's not really what it is, except it is like it is. I can't even imagine what people at the time must have thought of this. Um, Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty brutal.
3: (laughs) How uh, what do we think the age difference is between Karen Allen and that male actor? (laughs) uh, Sorry, between Karen Black and that male actor.
2: Oh, the uh, the teacher and the student, not yeah. not Five enough. Five minutes,
3: <laughs> like six years, maybe at best. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, but oh my gosh! So, what do you guys think of 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 Julie then? That first story, because I, it, it was just it was messing with my brain because because it was so dark to start out with, and then it's like they, aha, but really the poison was in the other goblet, kind of ending and um. It, I, I know that's supposed to be really dark and this su- huge surprise twist and everything, but that didn't undo everything that I had seen beforehand. So I just was kind of annoyed <laughs> at the way it turned out. Am I watching it
3: wrong? Uh, I didn't really buy it personally. Like I, I, I thought that there was no real cohesiveness to how, uh, to how the character was written. Um, the Karen Black character in that one, Julie, obviously. Um, it just
1: it felt like kind of a cheap. Gotcha. To me, it 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 absolutely is. The ending is completely unsatisfying. That being said, as as creepy and icky as it is, leading up to it, at least it's effective.
0: Yeah, it's I true. Think, I
1: think I think the way that you felt is the way you were supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. At, at least that works. Un unlike the second segment, which just I don't I think doesn't work from from the outset. So, I mean, at least it's it's got something sort of horrible about it that I'm sure a lot of people responded to back back in the seventies. And yeah, I, I, I'll give it points for, for getting its point across at least, but yeah, the ending is is dumb and kind of anticlimactic, but did you recognize the the student that walked in at the end?
2: Gregory Harrison, right?
1: Yeah, I know Greg Harrison.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, The, I would mention though, I do want to get us to Amelia though, the third segment because that that fucked me up that was
0: scary. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: scared the crap out of me and you can like you can like see the strings on the puppet it doesn't matter it's so effective it's so well done it makes the whole thing worthwhile as far as i'm concerned and it's not surprising to me that that's the one that there are t-shirts of
3: <laughs> like, oh yeah
2: like you said steve uh I'm, I'm gonna go to simon i think i know where you're at with this one too. so i'm gonna go to simon first did this one work for you at all
3: you think you know where I'm at? Uh no, it, it's it's fun. I mean it basically it presages a whole lot of other things. Especially uh, hey Kate, you should rent child's place on No, I'm good. <laughs> <You> sure? <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure? <laughs> yeah. Uh but um it's the only one that actually feels like it fits in something called Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. I think.
2: Steve, what about
1: you? No, I mean it's a it's a it's a minor masterpiece. It's it's so hilarious and and yet uh it, I mean that they, they made a sequel to this, I think in the mid nineties and what? Uh, and and that's the only sort of element that carried over uh was they had another adventure with the little the little dude the little Zinny doll Warrior? Uh, yeah the the fetish what was it i yeah you're right uh the the fetish doll, so yeah it uh but yeah I mean he just that that just that little guy is just one of my favorite he was like one of the first things that ever scared me so. I have a very, I have a very sweet spot for that, but, um, yeah, but her reactions are great too. I think it's her best performance too, Definitely. because I will say the, the, what, what, what makes me think that though isn't how, how, how well she screams or runs away, but that that whole opening segment when she's on the phone with her mother, like that's a real conversation. That's a, that's a hilarious, has nothing to do with the story, but it's a really believable uh, back and forth on the phone with this overbearing mother. And, um, and it was my understanding that that wasn't in Matheson's original screenplay that she added that, um, sort of improvised it, I think. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, I just, I, I love that part of it because they, it's not like throwaway dialogue to me. It's, it's maybe her working out some issues with her real mother. I don't know, but it feels like it.
2: It's essential. The, that story doesn't work without getting yeah. to know the character. And it reminds me of what people always say about um, uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which just ensures I will never watch that if I have a choice, <laughs> where you spend you know, a significant chunk of the overall running time getting to know these characters. So that way, when they're in peril, you actually care. And the, you know, in the first story, oh, look, the asshole rapist gets killed. I don't care. <laughs> in the <laughs> second story, we already talked about that. We just don't care in general. Yeah. But in the third story, Amelia feels like a real fully, you know, very recognizable, yeah. well, fully fleshed out character and her reactions are very genuine what she does in the situation. For the most part, you're you're not screaming at the 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 TV going, "Why would you? Come on." You know, she tries the things that most people would try. And um and then the end I think is really appropriately dark and uh fits with you know the title trilogy of terror so if you don't have those early scenes you don't connect with the character and so the fact that those weren't there initially is surprising to me and uh yeah props to karen Black for for having those added in
1: i think the conversation with the mother was there but the actual dialogue was hers okay Okay. so i think that was there always but but yes she just decided to improvise this back and forth with the unseen mother
3: I don't think it's a coincidence that this, that this is by far the best segment, and it's also the only one that Matheson actually wrote.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, you know, and I should give you should give credit to to Dan Curtis, the director, who was one of the I don't know they used to call them executive producers, now they call them showrunners. But he was a big showrunner on Dark Shadows, the original, um, and so he had there, there was some uh, precedent for him creating something that might actually scare us, even though he only, he technically, he failed at that with the other two segments. But uh, yeah, he, he was, he was sort of a staple at, uh, in television at the time. Um, and I think he did War in, uh what was that? Oh, oh, Winds of War. I think that was also his and uh, that he directed and yeah. And he worked with Karen Black before in uh, that movie Burnt Offerings, which I highly recommend. Well. Oh, that is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was a good movie. I said I recommended it. Okay, there's a reason it's not Karen, exaggerate. There, 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 there is, There's a reason Karen Black has like this cult following, and and always did because she, it's. I'm still not sure if she's a good actress, but uh, she was always always fun to watch.
2: Yeah, and uh, I guess for for other, I guess what I would to end with. Trilogy of Terror. There was some, there was some actually surprisingly effective music for me as well in yeah. in, in Amelia. But um, for other squeamish non horror people uh, like myself who are listening, I would check out Amelia. Maybe check out Julie. Skip the middle one, middle segment. <laughs> uh, but but you know this, you know this hollow It's October. It's you know, Halloween's coming up. So yeah, you know, I think I think that's worth your time. We'll have more discussion about that with our with our next pick. What do you think, Simon? Should they check out Trilogy of Terror? I, th-
3: I think that the rankings you just gave uh, make sense. The uh, I will also say that the last shot is great and uh, <laughs> kind of reminds me of Sleepaway Camp. I love last <laughs> shots like that.
2: Now I'm terrified of Sleepaway Camp. Thank you. Oh, you
3: should be. Okay. Yeah, don't ever watch Sleepaway Camp.
2: <laughs> Steve, you'll, you... you'll,
3: you'll never look at your hair straightener
1: the same way again. <sighs>
2: See, I don't even use one. See, it works out. It works out. <laughs> I don't even know. I I'm imagining all the ways it could be traumatized by a hair straightener. Sleepaway
1: man. camp is not that bad. Oh my god. I no. mean, it's not that bad. It's not that scary. Oh, it's I mean. bad for Kate though. Uh, okay.
2: <laughs> Steve, any final thoughts on Trilogy of Terror before we move on?
1: It 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 Yeah, I I mean, on, on I got to say I think as weird as it sounds that the the final segment works best if your expectations are sort of consistently lowered leading up to it. <laughs> so <laughs> because true. it kind of takes you by surprise how well done it is. And uh, yeah, I mean strings on the puppet aside, and I was looking for him, and I you know, you only spot him in a couple a couple occasions, but that, that little guy, even when he's standing still, is creepy as hell. So yeah, I I would say watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and just let it lull you into a sense of bad filmmaking before it just hits you in the face so it's only it's only 70 minutes long i mean it's
3: the whole thing not yet the individual segments are like 25 minutes the um that segment i hope it doesn't exist in high def because (laughs) it won't work
2: Well, let's move on to our second uh, TV movie. In this case, it's Carrie, the two thousand and two version. Just, I'm going to preface this up front. I have not seen the original. I'm not necess- I'm not planning on going to see the new one that's coming out soon. Here, uh, I have not read the book. I'm, this is me. Can we, I assume you guys have both seen the original
1: and read, of course. The book. Read the book. Yep. Yes.
2: Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to go first, seeing as I'm the newbie here, and. Uh, this is, it's just not, I don't think it's a good movie, but it's surprisingly effective by the end. And I actually think the lead performance yeah. by, by Angela Bettis is fantastic. I was I was expecting so much better when I noticed that it was written by Brian Fuller. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple Brian Fullery kind of moments in the dialogue, but for the most part, if you're going to watch this one, watch for Angela Bettis is really good. Um, Patricia Clarkson, I think, is really good as the mom. And there's a lot of really familiar faces elsewhere in it. And so it was kind of fun for that for that reason. But uh, I wasn't particularly scared watching it. And this is me. So...
3: I think it's a travesty that you've seen this version and not the original. I think that is so
1: That is wrong
2: <laughs> I'm feeling okay about it, though.
3: Can, can I just say... I find it bizarre that in the early 2000s, some combination of Stephen King and TV producers thought in a series of creative decisions, we can do better than Brian De Palma, Stanley Kubrick and Lars von Trier. No problem.
1: Which, uh, oh man. It happened a lot. Um, or or I'd say even, or Toby Hooper from the original. Oh yeah. they remade that too. Um, yeah, I, I, you're you're absolutely right. I actually watched that this film uh, with a friend yesterday, and was reminded that the the main reason I, I can can handle watching it is because of Angela Bettis. She's she's just dead on. Maybe maybe as good, if not even a tiny bit better, in certain ways than Sissy Spacek. She certainly, at the time, was uh, well. I don't know how she might have been age appropriate or really close to it, um, but. It, it's uh, it's not it's not scary, but but thinking about uh, the original, the original was more just sort of slow burn, creepy. Uh, I mean, and the story, it, what what it does is it incorporates a lot of elements from the book that weren't in the Brian De Palma version. Now, I think I think that the Brian De Palma version cut out the right stuff, so they kind of put some of that back in. It, it doesn't really it makes it longer, but I'm not sure it really adds anything to it. Um, may uh, ask what
2: did, what. Does what got cut out?
1: Everything with the cops. The stru- yeah the whole structure of the film is is uh or the whole structure of the book I should say is more of a investigative read. Like it's ah. it's sort of told after the fact through. If I correct me if I'm wrong, so it's like newspaper articles and reports and
3: yeah, there's even yeah there's even like morgue papers and things like that. Yeah, it's
1: like it's like pieced together from actual sources you know and 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 uh so there's that that they add that element but i'm not really sure that that adds that much to the telling of this story um uh, the, the way they do it in this in this version um but yeah i i, I and the I, but i thought like once the the prom starts it's it's really, I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, I thought it, I don't like the ending. The ending is ridiculous. Oh my God. That's not in, okay. No, she does Can not I live. That, actually, end,
3: I mean, that I ending is not from the original film and it's not no, from the book either, no. which is so strange. Like, why would you go back? Because I understand at least why he wanted to do The Shining one, for instance, because he always thought that yeah, the Kubrick film wasn't faithful and screwed up certain things. Okay, fine. You're not going to make a better movie, but go ahead. It's your book. Yeah. But here it's like, okay, so you go out of your way to make it more faithful to the book, and then you add a crappy new ending. Yeah.
2: Okay, I just assumed that that had to be the ending from the book, because why else would you possibly include
3: it?
1: <laughs> no. Oh, that no, is, no, 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 no.
2: That is fascinating. Okay.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
3: but but I think it, I I will say, though, that I was kind of expecting that sort of ending just from how sanitized this version is. Compared to the original, I mean, yes, they still have pigs' blood, but the, it, it considering the the actual death toll, that has got to be one of the most bloodless massacres <laughs> in television history.
2: Yeah, there's lots of people getting electrocuted as opposed to smushed with. You know, spurting blood and such. It is a rather bloodless thing, which is not surprising for it to be a TV adaptation when they're trying to, you know. It's,
3: it's the one thing, the one thing you should do in a Carry movie. Well, well they, I don't,
1: I don't think they even had. I mean, the the ending is the ending of the story is they all die in a fire. There's no, mm-hmm. I mean, the book and the other movie. It, there's no electrocution, as far as I can remember. But, uh, but of course, there's also no internet, so obviously yeah. in the seventies. Yeah. So. Um, so, I mean, it's meant to be uh, upda- and updated, like, in the present moment sort of thing. But, yeah, that 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 is a weird – and there's no way there were 230-some or whatever the count was. There, were, there weren't that many people in that room. Mm-hmm. There weren't even half that many people in the room. Um,
2: I do want to talk about some of the strengths, though, because I do think yeah. – yes, I think it's easy to talk about the things that don't work here. For example, the music. Yes, it is. Uh, but I think it's more interesting to talk about the things that do work because I think actually Patricia Clarkson is great as the mom.
1: But you haven't seen Piper Laurie, so you I haven't know, seen yeah. Piper Laurie. That's you wouldn't, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd think that if you saw the original.
2: Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Possibly. I,
1: I mean, I mean, she's she's fine. Like I, I don't know if Patricia Clarkson has dinner to give a bad performance, but it's not what Piper Laurie does. Piper yeah, Laurie just, is a just... demon. I mean, yeah, just but, to underline but that, I like, like... that.
2: I like that she's not a demon. I like that I can clearly see in the performance that she's psycho, but she thinks she's doing. She thinks she's helping her daughter. She thinks she's doing what is going to help her daughter. And while she's psycho and totally wrong, at the end she's somewhat validated because everything goes to hell. Uh
3: I don't know. I, I. Sometimes nuance isn't the right way to go. (laughs) The the whole time you're watching Patricia Clarkson, you can't help but think you have Piper Laurie's voice in the back of your head going, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. That's all I could think the entire time. Like, I just wish I was watching that. And I feel like that attempt to, like, add shades of depth and, you know, for instance, a lot of the kids, uh, the, you know, Carrie's classmates, etc., are just trying to do good things, and and then at the end they sort of try to help out, and it's like no, it's so much better when Sue Snell is the only good kid, really.
2: Oh, but I like that the couple of kids who aren't assholes are killed just as much as all the people who were. I like that.
1: that. That that was always an element of the of the story that uh, I think upset me the most was that yeah, in the end everybody dies. Like that's that I think that the yeah. I don't think as many people like that actually Sue, Sue did. Well, Sue was never there. So yeah. she does, she does live. Um uh We see there's Yeah. But, but going back to Piper Laurie for a second, it, even her death scene in the original film is so much more appropriate and, uh and just fucked up. Like just really like that whole, that whole weird little heart thing is, Looks so stupid. Like that's such a that no. That that's not how she she goes out. I'm not even going to tell you how she goes out in the original because it's it's you have to see it. You have you need to see it.
3: (laughs) You do now that you've seen this. It's like a it's like an obligation. It's like Uh, okay.
2: Also, I watched this one at ten in the morning with the sunlight streaming in. Maybe I can handle (laughs) the original in that context.
3: And and I think also just the idea of making a, a TV movie version that has no sex or violence really. Um, It just robs so much of what works about a visual representation of the story, like the whole opening of the De Palma film. Obviously, you couldn't do mm-hmm. in this at all. They they do a version of it that just pales
1: in comparison. In every the whole sh- shower scene uh, is what opens the De Palma film, right? Is that what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was watching the that that the the shower sequence going. They have a really nice locker room. That is <laughs> that is the that is the most uh you know the the most highly advanced and lots of space and everybody gets their <laughs> own shower. Like that's not possibly, possibly yeah. right. And it's just. <laughs>
3: It's just so much more, like, elaborately painful. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially even just, like, the little little things they changed for some reason that just aren't as effective, like the whole putting tampons in her locker thing. No, it's so much worse when they just chuck the matter in the shower.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: interesting. Well, I, I certainly don't want to watch the real one. <laughs> I should say the original, not the real one. Of course, there is the remake coming, and... I, I don't know that I, I I really enjoy Chloe Moretz. I've liked pretty much everything I've seen her do. I don't know that I can buy her in this kind of a character. I think Bettis does a great job. I think I can see how Sissy Spacek must do a really good job from the clips I've seen here and there. It'll, I think it's going to be a real stretch for, for Moretz to... to pull this off it'll be interesting i suppose to see how she approaches it but i really do think and i'm curious simon shoot me down I, I i do think that this is a really good performance regardless of having seen the original or not
3: Uh angela bettis is great and if uh if you haven't seen may uh, i think you should that's sort of like an updating of frankenstein uh yeah her two movies with lucky mckee may and the woman are both really really good uh, you should yeah. never watch the woman though don't ever do that uh <laughs>
1: Never, ever, ever, ever. ever. <laughs> Never Angela that. Bettis doesn't really make as much of an impact in the woman either. So if you're just going in to see Angela Bettis.
3: See, May is the
1: one. You May know. is definitely the one, yeah. And she was actually, she did like half a season of Dexter, too, if I remember correctly. like from did she? A couple years back, yeah.
2: Interesting. Well, then what do you guys think about, uh, besides just she's really good at the particular scenes as? That stuck out to you, or is it just you know? For me, it was a very wholly conceived character, and I I bought the emotional through light, and she physically, yeah, you know, I like that her hair looked terrible, and she, <laughs> she normally, and I I did enjoy that little shout out to she's all that, uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in the I middle of Yeah,
3: that that was such <laughs> a that was such a like oh I get to I I get to get one witty line in and it stands out like a sore thumb there are a
2: couple like that yeah but uh, you know i like that she doesn't fit that she's all that stereotype that she does you know she does look really nice at the the dance but she looks believably transformed not like
1: her hair is still a rat's nest in it though but yeah it's she she might have run a comb through it once that's about it but now she she's i mean she's phenomenal i mean even from the way that her whole approach to the character is just to have her be a nervous wreck at all times and shake—I mean, mm-hmm. I don't remember Sissy Spacek doing that whole trembling thing—but uh, I, I like that touch. I mean, it gets a little much at certain points, but I like that touch. And that—and that she's not aware that she's even doing half of the weird kinetic things that she's doing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's—it's—it's it's a, it's a great approach. And she just—I don't know—she just looks has that sort of. Sunken look of someone that has been uh, mentally abused by by her mother for so long, um, and, I, and I like the moments where she gets a little defiant once she realizes she does has have this power um, that she kind of stands up to her mother at a couple points. Um,
2: but she still loves her.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. But she's she's gonna like you're gonna stop treating me like this. Yeah, it's 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 not the way it is again in the original film, but I like that I like that touch. So she's great.
2: The last thing I do want to mention is uh, is that a horrible meteor shower in the, <laughs> the book and in the. It's the definitely original?
1: not in the De Palma film. No, it's it's written. It's written. It's one of the weird. I believe it's one of the incidences that's mentioned in the book. They did not have the budget for it. Definitely not in the movie. No, 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 no.
0: Okay, cool neither, yeah this that.
1: one you right talking about the new one didn't have the budget for it yeah they yeah. did they didn't, but they
3: did it anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, <That's
3: terrible>. uh, <laughs> and i I just want to mention as long as we're talking about acting that's good, I mean Candace McClure is trying, yeah,
2: she's, she's doing her best <laughs> she's
3: doing her her little best, uh, but almost everyone else, oh man, it's not a good collection of performances it's i don't I can't imagine this showing up on. Uh, Emily DeRaven or uh, David Keith's sizzle reel.
2: <laughs> well, and I've seen most of these actors be very good before. You know, Sure. Rena Sofer, Emily DeRaven, David Keith, all of I these people. I would like to
3: know what Rena Sopher was good in, because she's really bad in this.
2: I feel like it's got to be the direction. When there are that many, that many performances that are consistently not good, I feel like it's got to be the direction.
3: It's, it. I guess. it. It could also just be, I don't know, everyone involved knows that. Like, I, to, to go back to just uh, other than people wanted to make, like, I don't get the point of the remake, I guess. Yeah, you know, like, like it's it's not, it's only somewhat more faithful to the book, and I don't think it adds anything really compelling to the character or any of the individual depictions. I, I mean, any
1: thoughts on that, Steve? I, I honestly feel like, when I remember when I first saw it, I remember honestly thinking, oh, they found this great actress who would actually be perfect for this role and they didn't, and they just built the movie around the idea that they had this really great actress mm-hmm. who could play this part. And it's like, well, yeah, look, we'll, okay, we'll change a few things, but, but it really, it really kind of, it's so she stands out so much as being worthy of, of praise that, and, and it's like everyone else almost doesn't look like they're trying Um <laughs> I, I will. I will. I do want to point out. We're talking about bad acting, and it, and it is a photo finish here to like see who's <laughs> the worst. But, but uh, there's an actress named Catherine Isabel who, who plays one of the one of the main girls. Um, I think she's sort of Emily DeRaven's second in command, if you will. But she's she's the one in the in the, at the end in the prompting who's who, who seems to be the only other one that knows. That there's blood about the fall, but she's in the crowd.
2: She's the bitchy one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
1: she's but she's overacting in that prom scene. Just like I mean, she's overacting in the whole movie, which is weird because I actually she was in a movie a couple of movies called uh, like a Ginger Snaps series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was also in a movie that came out I think technically last year called American Mary, which I highly recommend. Um, but she's so bad in this. I mean, it's it's like she's overcompensating for something i don't know but she's just throwing her arms around and over exaggerating every reaction and uh it's so bad and i and i'm like God, if i had seen her if i'd actually like noticed her enough in this to hate her actively <laughs> i would have never wanted to see her in anything else after that so yeah it's it's definitely a, the
3: direction then
1: <laughs> it, it, i i think so yeah and and, yeah, I'm a huge Brian Fuller fan, so I, I, I'd forgotten that he wrote it. And when, I, when it came up in the credits, I'm like, holy crap, look at that. Maybe this would be better than I remember. And, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it is sort of just fun watching with that context of, look – it's Gretchen Speck and Ginger <laughs> and, and Douala and Claire, but she's kind of bitchy. You know, like th- these are all, if you're at least if you're a TV fan, these are all people you've seen before many, many times. And so to see, you know, see them all kind of together is sort of fun in a kind of, you know, silly, kind of very Canadian, I guess, kind of way. It yeah. seem like these are all people who were working in Toronto at the time or, or Vancouver. Um so there's a little bit of fun there. I like the the scene with the 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 parent teacher conference or whatever. I'm like, look, it's the head of evil observer dude. You know, so <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. that was a little fun, little you know, little touch there. If you decide you want to check it out, I don't know, Simon, are you going to recommend people check this out?
3: Uh, no. Mostly, I just want to watch Ginger Snaps now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie. Uh, yeah. Or May is a great movie. The Woman's Maybe. a great movie. This is not a good movie. I, I, I will. And- And yeah, Yeah. and watch the De Palma one, please, please, please. (laughs) If
2: if you're if you're curious, I say check it out just for the the novelty of it. It it was surprisingly long. It doesn't need to be two hours and what twelve minutes. It's half an hour longer than the original. (laughs) But that central performance is really good. So if you're uh, a Stephen King completist, or you know you're you're particularly curious, ramping up for you want to lower some expectations for the new one, maybe. It also
1: looks really bad, by the way.
2: Uh, (laughs) Steve, what do you what do you think?
1: I mean, I am a Stephen King completist, so yeah, and 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 I think it is barely worth checking out just for the Angela Bettis performance. I mean, she. She's going to be in the next or one of the next Terence Malick movies. So she's not like she's doing fine. Like people mm. caught her in the right movies this and May. Like she she's doing great. You know, she she's an Austin person who who just yeah, just and she who hooked up with this great director Lucky McKee a few years ago and just made a couple really key movies as far as I'm concerned. But uh yeah, I I I I'm I'm only recommending it Pretty much just for her performance, and and as far as the new one goes, um, as many people have pointed out, this isn't an original thought of mine. But of mine, but uh, Chloe Moretz, even sort of planed up, like sort yeah. of ugly up, is still really pretty. So I'm not quite sure. That's that's a key thing. Like she has to be, at, if not ugly, then at least plain. And and I I just don't see that. Like I don't get that so from this particular film i uh i I think i'm actually i think she's actually coming to town uh in advance of this film so i'll be really interested to see to see if it's worth talking about with her
2: just like the picture pictures of her the poster that i've seen uh did remind me of that conversation in this version about she's all that a little (laughs) bit a little bit but uh Anyways, thank you so much, Steve, for coming back. Sure. And we'll have to have you back yet again to continue my trauma, traumatization or trauma. I guess trauma is the correct term there uh, yeah. in, in education, in television horror. And uh, where can our listeners find you online?
1: Uh, com.
2: And uh, thank you for again for coming on the show, Steve. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.